the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Many people hunger for success, but struggle to balance what they pursue on the outside with what they need on the inside. According to today's guest, Dr. Hitendra Wadwa, we can learn how to have our outer success reflect our inner core. He joins us today to discuss how our five core energies can create outer impact from a place of inner mastery. Dr. Wadwa is a professor at Columbia Business School and founder of the Mentora Institute and Mentora Foundation. He is the author of the book, Inner Mastery, Outer Impact, How Your Five Core Energies Hold the Key to Success. Welcome, Dr. Wadwa. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Joan. Pleasure to be here with you and your listeners. Dr. Many people strive for success. We, we all want to be liked. We want to be loved and respected. And we believe that the way we're seen on the outside often determines how we see ourselves. Why do we do this? Why do we look to the outside for internal validation? I think it's important to realize that so much of um, this comes from our cultural roots. We are uh, almost messaged in this way from a very early stage in our life to look for that outer validation. And that's, while it's true in a very dominant way in our Western ethic, uh, it's not necessarily true in all cultures all the time. Um, And so I have the blessing of having immigrated to America at the age of 21, uh, having embraced and adopted this land as as my country, as my culture, and at the same time, having always had my roots, you know, come from where I grew up, which was in India. And um, therefore, having seen uh, these uh, dueling kind of, you know, views of life as coming from the East and uh, and now from the West, uh, I have had the opportunity to be able to uh, recognize that there are actually, you know, two pathways, you know, to how to think about yourself and your sense of self-worth. One is from within and the other is from without. Um, and it's not in any way wrong to have a outer kind of measure to uh, who you are and how you show up and what your sense of worth and engagement is with the world, because we do owe a responsibility, you know, to society around us, that we are a worthy citizen in some ways, and that we are doing work that is valued, you know, in the world. Uh, And at the same time, um, you know, the, the opportunity is there for us to pause, to look within, and to recognize that there is something so beautiful so pure, so unconditionally already whole from the inside that once we start to access that, which is what I found the wisdom from the East, you know, having having brought to me, once we start to access that, we can actually start doing our best outer work. Yeah, I agree because, you know, everything on the outside, all the things that we talk about out there, they're fleeting. They don't last. And if our if the view of ourselves, the way we value ourselves and see ourselves, if it's so dependent on what we have or what other people see, things that can be taken away at any time, that's when we find ourselves in trouble, I think. Would you agree with that? That's a beautiful way of 
uh, thinking about it. And I often tell my students at uh, Columbia Business School, who are very ambitious, you know, they're, they're there at school because they're seeking to set the foundations for uh, a career-long pursuit of, you know, outer success. That, uh, you know, just look at the 2008 mortgage meltdown crisis, where some of these, you know, titans of Wall Street suddenly had their foundations shaken and people who were geniuses in school were suddenly displaced because Lehman Brothers just crashed. You know, um, we often do not control uh, the outer shifts and changes that are happening uh, in the world, in our communities, in our organizations, in our societies, and, and at times even painfully so in our families. Uh, at the same time, we can control how we show up from the inside, what we cultivate and activate as a spirit from the inside. And when we do that, then we have the opportunity to, in every moment in life, show up very centered from the inside, very anchored from the inside, and yet very agile from the outside. You know, so for some people, that's a, a little bit of a, a cop-out because they feel like, yeah, but, you know, on the outside, I want to have clear direction, clear purpose, clear goals, and I, I don't want to give them up just because things are changing around me on the outside. And I like to help them see how, you know, when we are having ambition and pursuing goals on the outside, we are doing that for a reason. We are doing that to express our true self, to really do our best to pursue a certain purpose-driven or values-based path because we see those goals as the outer expressions of our values. And if you see it that way, then... One, one way to kind of blend these two is from the inside, always be anchored in your values, in your purpose. But then from the outside, seek to express them in new ways, in fresh ways, in ways that adapt to the ever-changing conditions around you. One of the biggest lessons I learned from doing this work, I'm in a, a unique situation because I get to meet all kinds of people. And I have met people over the years who would have every right or reason to fall apart in life. People who were born without arms and legs and became quadriplegics and had some of the, the biggest challenges you can imagine. Um, children that were killed. And yet they are living a joy-filled purposeful life because of that inner strength. And and that was just one of the biggest things that impacted me so much is that we have that ability that no matter what we go through to to master this inner strength and and you know to, to as you say to show up in the world in a different way. And these people have gone on to inspire millions around the world with their story and their teachings. You are so right. You're so right. And in fact, uh, John, let me take what you're saying and up it one notch, right? Which is that, um, you know, like you, I've been blessed to meet some of these people. Um, I have had many stories like this being shared with me by uh, executives and students uh, in my classes and executive programs because I, I draw that out. I ask uh, every participant in my program to share a personal journey. And sometimes it's about themselves and sometimes it's about a very inspiring member of their family. And I'll give you one example. You know, there was Dr. Anna Pavlik. You know, she was in my executive MBA program. And she mentioned how at a very young age, she was very drawn to the idea that she was going to fight cancer. You know, she was literally in um, you know, in school when she just had this keen draw towards wanting to ultimately be a cancer doctor, an oncologist. Um, and along the way, she has had um, her boyfriend when she was in college uh, succumb to cancer and, and, and die. Uh, and then later she gets married, um, dates somebody and gets married. And then after 20 years of a beautiful marriage, he gets cancer and he dies. Uh, so, you know, talking about tragedy and loss and suffering in life. I mean, she's, you know, exhibit number one you know, in, in that. Uh, and at the same time, what has happened is that through this suffering and this loss, it's brought a lot more humanity to her own journey as an oncologist. She did end up studying medicine and becoming a cancer doctor. And not just has she, um, through her research, contributed to improving the odds of survival for people, for example, with stage four melanoma from like 5% or 65%, which is one of the things that she is credited for. But in addition, she says these beautiful things about how she has developed so much empathy 
and the capacity to connect with her patients and their families in a way that wouldn't have been possible without her personal experience. She says, it's given me the ability to talk to patients' families. They understand that I get it, that this is not a job. This is very personal to me. This is why I am there for people from the time they walk into my office and say, here you go, take care of me. You know, I'll be there either until the day that they are cured and become part of my extended family or until they pass away. And if they do pass, I will ensure that they pass away with dignity, knowing that they were loved and cared for. You know, uh, what I read into that story is that sometimes pain and suffering and loss that comes to us can be our greatest catalyst for change, for growth, for wisdom, for insight that allows us to bring a special gift into the world. I couldn't agree with you more because that is how I got started doing this work. All of this, the brand creation, the show, everything I do came from a period of six months in my life where my mother and sister died, my 23-year marriage ended, and my son left for college. So it was like I had this life one day and the next day it was gone. And so Mm -hmm. from that pain and from that darkness... Everything that I am doing, it was born and it has grown from that. So I absolutely mm. understand what you're saying. And and actually, I see it quite often in a lot of the people I meet. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, you know, I mean, that is such a powerful thing that you've shared about your own journey, John. I'm grateful that uh, a, it has led you to this work uh, and B, that you're sharing this now, you know, with us and with me. Um, I sometimes feel that Every moment in life is like a conversation the universe is having with us. You know, the universe doesn't have a voice where suddenly the clouds will part and you know, the light will shine and it will speak like in a human, human voice. But it, it speaks to us through every experience that it gives us. And, and sometimes what it's trying to say is that, John or Hitendra, you have no idea how much strength, how much grace, how much love, how much joy you have within you. I want to wake you up to that. You know, I want to wake you up to that. And we all do in, in different degrees. We all have a similar story. Mine might be a little bit more dramatic. Someone else's may be even more dramatic than mine. But we all have these change moments in our life where we have to make a choice of, of which direction we're going to take. Correct, correct. And sometimes they come from moments of, you know, like shock, pain, suffering, loss, uh, sometimes they can be, in some ways, almost the opposite. You know, you are cruising through life, and I found in some cases with some people, there is a stirring, you know, that happens within, a certain moment of deep inspiration. And then it sort of fades away because we get so caught up in the hustle and bustle of our daily routine. And so I, I like to encourage people to look within, check with their inner experiences, not just their outer experiences, you know, those moments where stirrings and inklings come to us and pay attention to them, honor them, because sometimes in those lies the seed of your true purpose. Um, in my case, I had a stirring like that, very, very uh, beautiful, um, you know, hunger that got unleashed when I was a teenager to want to really deepen, in a sense, my spiritual explorations. And I only marginally responded to it. You know, for the most part, I was continuing to get caught up in the swirl of ambition on the outside. And I was, I was almost twice that age. You know, I was, I was 17 that time, and it was when I was 34 <laughs> that I finally, at some point, woke up to the realization that, hey, Kendra, you've been operating under the assumption that you can get all the richness and beauty and joy that you want from your outer pursuits. But you remember? You remember that inkling that came to you when you were 17 and you really wanted to go on a deeper inner journey as well? Well, it's time for you to pay attention to that and respond to that and do something about it. So, yeah, so I've also noticed that, you know, in some cases, paying attention to moments of inspiration and pulls that we experience from within can be a way to awaken to a deeper purpose in life. Doctor, will you take us through your five core energies that you write about? Sure, sure. Thank you. I have evolved these over the course of my 15 years of teaching um, a class called Personal Leadership and Success at Columbia. And what I was seeking to do there is help us recognize that we are not just in this world playing an outer game, but we're also playing an inner game. 
And when I say inner, I don't just mean the distinction between our professional life on the outside and the personal life that we lead on the inside. Because even in our families and in our circle of friends and community, sometimes basically what we're playing is the outer game. The inner game is our thoughts, our feelings, our intentions, our motivations, our values, our beliefs. Um, and so these five core energies are a way to help understand and organize and approach the mastery over your inner game. Now, the first of these energies is, is purpose. And purpose is about having clarity about why you do the things you do. Uh, for every conversation, for every relationship, for every project you take on, a next stage in your career that you're working on, um, what is the deeper why behind it, the purpose behind it? And then what you seek to do is re-express that purpose in the form of the right markers or milestones or goals on the outside from time to time. Yes, I want to achieve this goal and that goal in my personal life or my professional life, but it's always in service of a deeper purpose that I believe in and I want to pursue. So that's the purpose energy. Um, the second is wisdom. Wisdom is about seeking the truth in all situations. Sometimes truth comes knocking on our door and we refuse to listen to it. Uh, it comes in the form of a you know, subtle change of the facial expression of the person in front of us that reveals to us that this person actually may not be enjoying what is it that you've just shared or may not be agreeing with it, but we ignore it and we just keep you know, talking um, and don't really respect the fact that maybe I should pause and inquire and check in, how are you doing? How are you feeling about this conversation? So wisdom is about seeking the subtle, nuanced truth in all situations and making sure that our emotions and our thoughts are always directed in service of the higher purpose that we are pursuing. Because, you know, emotions can be beautiful things as long as we are using them in service of something noble and uplifting. Uh, and so that's the wisdom energy. Um, the third is growth. And, and growth is about recognizing that, you know, I'm always a work in progress. There's always a part of me that, uh, is still waiting for me to awaken to a higher potential within me. And therefore, I am not going to be limited by some confining view of my personality or my character or the way I have approached situations in the past, my habits and impulses. I am more than that. And I can keep over time regrooving, so to say, my brain. So that's the growth energy. Uh, the fourth is, is love. So, so love is about, as Rumi, one of these uh, very beautiful um, Sufi poets uh, whose, whose work is very popular in, in America amongst poetry lovers, you know, he once said, he said, love is the bridge between you and everything. And so, so love is recognition that there is no such thing as a self-made woman or a self-made man. You know, we all ultimately, in some ways, intricately connected with the web of relationships and, you know, just our, our connection with nature. There is a certain interdependency. And therefore, life is inviting us um, when we fall in love, when we have a child. You know, our heart expands to the point where their joy becomes our joy and their success becomes our success. But the same can be then expanded further to allow us to feel that with our colleagues at work and with others in our community and the people of other nations and the future generations. The idea that uh, you take joy in their joy and you find success in their success. And that is love. And then the fifth and final is what I call self-realization. Uh, self-realization is about recognizing that beyond our physical self and beyond our thoughts and our feelings from within lies a space of pure spirit within us, pure consciousness within us. And that is our true home. And there are pathways through which we can access it. Taking walks in nature, spending uh, time in rich solitude, like in journaling, or in mindfulness, or meditation, uh, or deep prayer. Um, I have found that um, you know people who have access to these kinds of practices on a regular basis in their life have a deeper, more subtler appreciation of this, you know, just um, 
you know, uh, a, a undercurrent of peace and tranquility and joy that just exists within them. And that is self-realization, recognition that everything that you're looking for from the outside in some ways is already available to you on the inside. So, Dr. Fur, someone who's listening to you right now and wants to begin on this journey, is there one area that's more important than another? Is it something they should be working on simultaneously? Or if you just tap into one of these energies, do the others tend to fall into place? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. And I certainly do not uh, believe that there is one singular path here. Um, and at the same time, there are you know, right and wrong ways to do it. Uh, so think of this in the following way. Think of a mountaintop. And at the very top of that mountain, at the peak, lies your full attunement with your inner core. You know, think of your inner core as the space of the highest potential within you. Uh, from where, when you operate, you know, from that place, you are beyond insecurities and, um, you know, attachments and ego. You're deeply committed to a noble cause. You're very connected with people around you, curious and open to growth, very centered, you know, from, you know, a very, very beautiful, joyful place within and, and calm and receptive to truth. And that's your inner core. And you can experience it on the inside and then express it in everything you do on the outside. And, and to get there, you know, there are different pathways. And um, each of us, in some ways, is like a truth seeker, you know, seeking to walk our path up to that mountaintop. And and some of us might be more purpose-driven, and some might be more wisdom-driven, and some might be more love-driven and, and, and beyond. And, and, and that is perfectly, perfectly appropriate for you to pick a energy and a way of engaging with your inner and outer lives that most naturally comes to you that you're most drawn to. Uh, and then in my book, I explain five stages through which each of us can advance on any of these energies. So there are five stages for purpose, five for love, five for wisdom, and beyond. Um, and so I would encourage us to start by asking ourselves which of these five am I most, which of these five energies am I most drawn to? Um, and then for that energy, seek to check in on where you are today and what is the first next step you can take to, let's say, the wisdom, to gain more mastery over your emotions, to gain more awareness over your thoughts, and then learn to re-script the ones that are holding you back from your full potential. Then move from thoughts to a much deeper construct, which is your beliefs. Uh, and then from beliefs to perhaps an even deeper construct, which is your capacity to approach moments with a drive towards high performance, but also a non-attachment to the outcome uh, and beyond. And what I was just sharing was examples of those five stages, you know, acquiring, acquiring wisdom. And so um, one way to figure out sort of which of these you want to take is to ask yourself, what's your greatest hunger right now? You know, it may be that there is a certain pain that you are seeking to transcend, overcome, or a certain hunger you have for a more beautiful life, for a more inspiring life that you want, or, or more success in your, in your professional life or in a relationship. So start by something that is really pulling you right now. And then ask yourself, okay, which of these energies do I feel may help me most in advancing that cause? And then use that as a way to... Uh, start this journey up the mountaintop to the very core of your being. The book is Inner Mastery, Outer Impact, How Your Five Core Energies Hold the Key to Success. Doctor, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? Thank you. Uh, Hitendra.com. So that's my first name, H-I-T-E-N-D-R-A, Hitendra.com. And um, I have a few articles there. I have an opportunity if um, folks are interested to sign up on a newsletter there's also more information on the book doctor thank you so much for joining us it has really been a pleasure having you on the show thank you john thank you for the work you do at a very critical hour in you know the history of our you know beloved planet to really invest in these stories and these inner pursuits that can get us to sustain happiness and I'm grateful for this time here with your listeners. I wish you and all your listeners all the best in your journey in life and at work towards fulfillment, lifelong fulfillment. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life book club, created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a board-certified professional and executive coach, speaker, workshop leader, and reinvention expert. She's the founder of Linda Mitchell Coaching and Healing. Linda is here today to discuss why visualization is key to goal achievement. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me back, Joan. Linda, anyone who has set goals for him or herself can tell you how difficult it is to work or achieve those goals. And often many people fall short of achieving their goals. Why do you believe this is the case? I think that part of it is that we we do part of what we're supposed to do, but we miss a critical part. I think, you know, we have to get very clear on what we want. Yes. And that's great. We have to know the details and that's great. We have to write them down. I think, don't quote me, but I think the statistics is something like 80% of the people who write their goals down actually achieve them. And all of that is a really, really good start. But if you want to make the process happen more quickly and with much more ease, I believe it is imperative that you use your imagination, your subconscious brain, to envision your goal or desire actually coming into your present reality. That is so key. And I think that's also what trips us up, right, to the point that I I see a lot of people giving up before they actually get the process moving because people think, oh, that's such a waste of time. I'm not going to sit there and, you know, use my imagination. But your imagination is key. And we can begin to actually see the results when you begin to do it. Linda, what does that look like when when you use your imagination or you visualize? How detailed do you have to be and, and what is the process of doing this? That is such a good question. Thank you. You have to actually get crystal clear. Use your imagination to actually envision what you want. I would say use every single one of your senses. Get into that situation and who's there? See the people What do you feel? Are you sitting behind a new mahogany desk or are you in this new neighborhood? See what you see, feel what you feel, use your senses. What do you smell? What do you hear? Use all of those senses and get very, very specific. And here's the key, visualize visualize it as though it's happening right now, not sometime in the future, because that keeps you in a state of wanting, right? But see it now. Another part of this that's really, really important is that you need to know, Our brains can't tell the difference between a real experience and an imagined one. So using your imagination to help bring about what you want in your reality is so, so important. Just get clear on your why and start using it with emotion. Emotion is what's key. And Linda, is that because, you know, you had just said about using our subconscious mind and that the subconscious can't tell the difference between what is imagined and and what is real. I know when we're little girls and we become the princess, if you ever see a little girl who is pretending to be a princess, she's not pretending to be Mary as the princess. She becomes the princess. She walks and she talks and she embodies this role. So when we do that in our life, when we are now being the person we're setting a goal to be, do we show up differently? Is that why we have more success? Yes. And you you do show up differently. You begin to, I love the word you used, you begin to embody that person, that new, new person or that new goal. And where does that all come from? The emotion, right? We want to feel a certain way. I mean, that's the basis of all buying decisions too. It's the emotion behind it. So When you want to create something new, you want to be in that new place. 
And that visualization helps you bring about in your physical reality, whatever you're visioning in your mind's eye. So if you want to get a promotion, if that's a goal to be the manager of your department, you need to start acting like the manager of the department before you even get the job. Correct. Yes. You act as though that wish is already fulfilled. You become who you want to be right then and there. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit lindamitchellcoachingandhealing.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. We'll be right back. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Lyme disease is one of the fastest growing infectious diseases in the country and one of the most difficult to diagnose. According to today's guest, Dr. Daniel Cameron, the increasing number of cases has led many in the scientific community to deem the disease a public health crisis. He joins us today to discuss the major aspects of Lyme disease. Dr. Cameron is a nationally recognized leader for his expertise in the diagnosis and treatment of Lyme and other tick-borne illnesses. He is the author of the book, Inside Lyme, an expert's guide to the science of Lyme disease. Welcome, Dr. Cameron. Thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be with Joan. So, Doctor, why do you believe Lyme disease is on the rise? Well, I've been in practice for 37 years in uh, in New York, where we certainly had plenty of cases, always had cases, even when I started. But uh, there's more and more people where have been outside with their pets, the they're trying to escape the city, but when you escape the city or some urban areas, they run into more uh, opportunities to come out and be on the grass and pick up a tick. And what are the stages of the disease? Early, uh, early disseminate, which is almost the same as early. And then, you know, various people use late, chronic, persistent, and for everybody else. And so, you know, you'd like to be caught early or early disseminate, but a lot of people don't have that opportunity to have those early signs. So what would be considered early? Is that when you just have the rash or the blood tests are confirmed? Well, it's usually just the rash uh, or it might be a rash with a tick in it. Do a, a blood test and catch it. But uh, just having a positive test doesn't mean that's when it started. Uh, even this, uh, some of the Western blot, IgM, which is a fancy one for early Lyme, it stays around so long that uh, it's, you know, it's still uh, not so early after all. And so, yeah, I always have to use clinical judgment to you know, work with that uh, person I see as to what is their history. I saw someone who had a rash that was diagnosed recently with Lyme, and it, the rash didn't look like anything I would have expected. It. I always heard about this bullseye, but this one was about eight inches wide and about four inches high, and it actually looked more like a cellulitis. But it was that rash and then a positive blood test that the doctor made the diagnosis of, of Lyme. Well, you're um, you're absolutely right. Uh, only one out of four, maybe even less, have that picture-perfect bullseye. Uh, more often, it's flat red. Uh, more often, it's oval than it is round. So the fact that yours was oval is uh, more common. And because it's flat and red, maybe a little bit thickened, the doctor thinks it's a spider bite or thinks it's a cellulitis, and they treat for cellulitis, but they forget uh, to mention that, by the way, Lyme disease uh, can look like that too. And so there have been a few people who um, who actually gotten messed up because they kept treating for the skin infection, not Lyme. So if, let's say, a person has a rash like that and the rash goes away and the person thinks, oh, okay, this was something else and I'm better now, but they never treated the bacteria that, you know, obviously came in through that tick bite, what would happen then down the road? Is that when that person will have problems? Yeah, the infection seems to go away anyway, even if you don't treat. So when the rash goes away, people uh, let down their guard, and uh, and then later on, that's when all of these symptoms you hear about. You know, the immune system is busy, the, the uh, fatigue, they can't concentrate, can't process information, the headaches, the dizziness, all the things that, that you associate with uh, Lyme, you hear about Lyme, uh, the frustrating part of Lyme shows up, you know, and if you don't see that rash or dismiss it, uh, that's when the doctor has a challenge. Uh, the patient also has a challenge of letting the doctor know. Right. So if you find the rash and blood work confirms it, 
How do you know, uh, and, and let's say you do a, a, a course of the doxycycline or, or whatever it is they prescribe, how do you know when you're in the clear? When can you say, okay, this is taken care of, I'm good to go? Well, that's a good question. If you treat at the time of the rash, um, a lot of people get better, and uh, maybe two out of three, which is great. It just one out of three seems to have troubles when you follow them, or they'll be well and then show up a few months later sick. So that's where the, the hot debate is, you know, what to do for the one out of three who has troubles. And so some doctors say, well, no, nope, 21 days is all you get. And I'm in a group of doctors who says, well, I'm going to really lean on the ones that are become chronically ill or late, and, uh, and then uh, I have to treat longer than the standard three to four weeks. Or I might have to look at other infections in a tick, you know, like Babesia. Maybe that's why they're still sick. So it's a, I take that that group and have to come up with a solution. I hate to have them get lost in the system and get called fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue. If you've had Lyme at some point, and let's say you've treated it, is it always something you have to worry about? Is it is it with you for the rest of your life? Well, a lot of people get better. So remember, two out of three, you know, I hate to run stats. Two out of three seem to do pretty well, and no matter what you do, it's the rest of them. Um, it's uh, you know, depends on how sick they are, how long they've been sick. But uh, uh, certainly, uh, in all of the years I've been in practice, there's plenty of people who are quite sick, been sick for a long time, would do well. Now they're nervous. You know, will something come back? Uh, will I get bit again? And uh, but uh, it's when you've been sick, pretty sick, you can understand how nerve-wracking it is to not know. I mean, there are some people who stay sick and have a hell of a time, a really rough time trying to wrap it up. But if you get better, it's still nerve-wracking. What are the most common symptoms when you're moving from early stage to a later stage? What, what would a person be experiencing? Well, I often liken it to the immune system as too active. So you get almost like a fight-or-flight type process so that you're tired uh, but wired. Uh, the brain is not process information is quite as clean so they call it a fog there's a the body has a problem because their wires are not sleeping uh every mood buttons turn up to high so you can say oh my anxiety is coming waves but so do sadness and irritability and uh, then they can get kind of lightheaded uh, when they move get up too quick uh, Many people say I-, I never even saw a tick how come people don't know they've been bitten well sometimes uh, you know people are scratching some of them tend to detach for, uh, rather easily, even before they get engorged, because uh, you see people who uh, find ticks in their house that are partly engorged, and they're still alive and they're still uh, you know, hanging around. So let's talk about how Lyme disease would be diagnosed. Let's say you have the perfect situation where the person has a rash and they're presenting with this rash. What tests would you be running? Well, if I see a, you know, a rash, even without a tick, Today, that's not you know quite like a bullseye. Not so sure that I do a blood test. And uh, there's something called an ELISA, which is fancy word for titer, which looks uh, for a pattern of proteins that you might have from the, the infection. Uh, and then uh, there's so many other co-infections uh, that there's blood tests for, like anaplasmosis, uh, ehrlichia, Bartonella, Babesia that you can test for. So I do those tests, but if there's still sick or the, the test is taking too long, uh, I'll end up treating uh, based on what they're presenting with, not just the test. Right. So if a patient has a positive IgM test, that would pretty much indicate an active case of Lyme? Yeah. M, the IgM or immune globulin M is the first responder. Then later on, it kind of turns into an IgG pattern. It's just that with Lyme, you can't always count on it going from the M pattern to the G pattern. And if all you get is M, you're still going to have the doctor decide how long they've been sick, how long you want to treat for. And you had mentioned a Western blot test. What is that? Uh, a Western blot is a test where you uh, are looking for proteins that are typically in, a, in an infection. You know, like the cell wall, you know, cytoplasm, mitochondria, all these kind of proteins that we learn from science class. So they look for those proteins that are kind of unique to Lyme. Uh, and so they run it on, on a piece of paper, run it, kind of, and it looks like a bunch of kind of bands or slashes or blobs. Some people call it a Western blob test. And so it's sort of a pattern. So if you get enough clues, uh, like on a G pattern, if you get 5 out of 10, or M, 2 out of 3, you say, aha, 
it's a highly likely that that is mine. Uh, it's just that not everybody gets those bands, and so you're left with, like, well, if they're sick, you have to do a lot of tests for other things. But I don't like toss Lyme out if, if they don't have all the bands they're looking for. When you suspect a case of Lyme and you tell a patient that this is what you believe is happening, what is the normal course of treatment? Well, I, I always uh, tend to start with doxycycline. Uh, now, even in kids under eight, because they're worried about doxycycline getting the teeth or bones, is that uh, you can't actually do two weeks according to the CDC without those issues. So if all I got is mine that seems simple, just doxycycline, if it's more complicated, I might switch to a different pill like amoxicillin or treat for babesia. And so when someone takes a course of antibiotics, we know what it does to all the gut bacteria. Do you usually recommend that someone takes a probiotic or prebiotic along with it? I always recommend uh, the probiotics, um, to, you know, like maybe 40 billion with a B. Um, prebiotics is commonly done, but I'm not so sure that adds much. But uh, And I also uh, uh, recommend that they um, stay with alcohol and sugar because uh, that, it interferes with the uh, trying to have a good outcome. Because we know how important the immune system is in healing and, and gut health to the immune system is so important. So that's why I was asking about that, that you want to try to keep yourself as healthy as possible. What about taking supplements like C and D? Is it safe to take them alongside an antibiotic? Uh, yeah, it's safe to take those. Um, one of the things you should know is that some of the zinc, magnesium, you know, calcium, those type of minerals stick to doxycycline. Um, so you don't get the absorption that you want. So if you're going to take those kinds of minerals, then I recommend taking those separate from doxycycline, like two hours away. So I take doxycycline with food because it's so hard on the stomach. But I might take the zinc, magnesium, calcium two hours later. I might take them at the same time as probiotics um, so I can keep things uh, simple. And how do you recommend we go about protecting ourselves from these tick bites? Well, I um, find that um, TikTok is still quite useful. It's just it, it's it's not done that often when a, the kid gets a little older. Because who wants mom to be doing a TikTok when you're like 11? It's kind of annoying. And then, and plus they're so busy, they don't get to remember it um, all the time. And the second thing is that since so many of them are come around pets, I always tell people at least don't have the uh, pet sleep in the bed, uh, and that uh, if they have a, a a couch and the dog sits by the couch as uh, the cat does is at least uh, get a, like a dust back, some kind of vacuum to cut a, it'll suck up any ticks if they happen to be hanging around. And uh, be careful when you go out with them, uh, with the pets, to not pick up ticks. I think the sprays and things like that, and the beak keeps mosquitoes away, and, but, and it's recommended uh, that you know, it's not as reliable as we like. And this pyrethrum, this insecticide you put on skin, it, uh, if it's fresh, it can get uh, some ticks that can get hot feet and fall off. But, uh, but if a tick can make it to your skin in time, boy, it's uh, ready to go. And it's, uh, you can't count on that. Uh, and the last thing I want to mention is that if you're out with, and you think a tick might be on your clothes, or might be, put it in the dryer. They don't like heat. They don't like dry. And uh, knock it around. And that way you don't have to necessarily always wash clothes when you're outside. Have you ever heard of anyone who may have gotten the tick bite, may have gotten Lyme, didn't treat it? Is it possible for our immune system to eradicate this, or does it always have to be treated? Well, that was the original question in the, the 70s, is that would you get sick if you don't get a swollen knee, if you don't get that type of arthritis, don't get those palsy or a rash? And so there was a lot of interest in following people over time. But almost all of them end up being sick or, you know, the vast majority get sick at some point, maybe not when they get the rash. And so that feeling that you naturally can protect yourself, that your body can take care of it, is a, has sort of a, not been a very good strategy. Now, some people get to the two weeks of treatment and then they think they should watch and wait. The doctor says watch and wait. Now, I don't have any problem with that if you feel well. But if you don't feel well, you know, you should at least get to your doctor and make sure you have nothing else wrong and make sure that uh, at least aware that uh, maybe treat, retreatment is available. And if you don't really want to retreat as a doctor, then, you know, there are other doctors who might consider. But, uh, you know, it's a hot debate as to whether to treat more than three weeks. If someone goes through the three-week course of treatment or and he, he or she feels well, 
no symptoms, no side effects, nothing happening in their body. How do they know then that they're in the clear? Will you run another blood test or do you pretty much assume the antibiotic did its job and, and the person's okay? Well, there isn't any blood test to tell you when Lyme is over. You know, there's a, even people have a clean positive test. There's no test to say I'm, I'm cured, I'm fine, I'm, I'm healthy. So it's not like other diseases where you have a good outcome. You know what it is that, that you're well. So it's a uh, one of those things where I might do a test to see if there's evidence of another infection in a tick. Uh, but generally, there's no objective, clean, clear, satisfying way to know you're fine. If you're fine, feel fine, you've had some reasonable amount of treatment, I just let it go. Do you recommend that a patient go to a doctor like you or a specialist, or can a regular internist usually handle this situation? Well, I find that there's an awful lot of doctors who actually treat Lyme and do a good job and more than ever before. Uh, and they're looking for Lyme, which is all important. And uh, treating uh, in a timely manner, just that there's still plenty that don't uh, look or they, they need a tick or a rash that says, especially when there's still too many people who, um, who as doctors, are on the sideline and not treating. So it's, just be aware that uh, if you're sick and saying sick and the symptoms are persistent, can't find a better answer, is book a second man in line. One doctor says, no, at least get a second opinion. Dr. Cameron, thank you so much for spending this time with us. It, it is nice weather now, and as you said, more people are spending more time outside, and this is really a concern for us, and it's something that we have to be mindful of. So if you'd like to get more information about Dr. Cameron and his work, you can visit danielcameronmd.com or grab a copy of his book, Inside Lyme, An Expert's Guide to the Science of Lyme. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, John. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Did you know that over time, high blood sugar levels can damage the nerves, especially those in the feet? Diabetic neuropathy is not one condition, but a group of conditions that can cause damage to the feet due to diabetes. Hi, I am Dr. Anand Joshi, a podiatrist practicing in Woodland Park, New Jersey at Advanced Foot Care of NJ LLC. In addition to high sugar levels, other factors that can worsen nerve damage include smoking, alcoholism, or a history of diabetic neuropathy in the family. Symptoms of diabetic neuropathy include numbness, tingling, and pain in the feet. This can contribute to a greater risk of a person experiencing cuts or injuries to the feet due to lack of feeling. It's important to maintain good health and good blood sugar control in order to treat diabetic neuropathy. While a doctor cannot reverse nerve damage, he or she can recommend treatments to prevent it from worsening. Person with diabetes should go for regular foot exams to prevent complications such as infections or amputation. If you'd like more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website, footpainnj.com. Have you ever considered using medical-grade essential oils for improving your immune system? Imagine having your medicine cabinet filled with therapeutic-grade essential oils that can actually improve your health. Hi, this is Roxanne D'Angelo, a certified Reiki master. Many essential oils work directly to either fortify the immune response or eradicate the bacteria and viruses that can make us sick. Research suggests that highly concentrated essential oils also have pharmacological and immune-strengthening properties, such as antiviral, antifungal, antiseptic, and anti-inflammatory. Here are some of my favorites for building a stronger immune system. Lavender, when used before bed, can improve your sleep, a critical factor in building a strong immune system. Jasmine has been known for alleviating stress and anxiety. This is critical since studies show that ongoing stress can undermine immunity and leave us vulnerable to both everyday illnesses and chronic disease. And last, frankincense, one of my favorites, is best known for its highly effective inflammation-fighting capabilities. Are you ready to take the initiative for strengthening your own immune system by incorporating essential oils into your daily lives? If you would like more information, you can reach me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com or call 201-615-0960. Fear is one of the most powerful forces in life. It affects the decisions we make and the actions we take. And while the primary role of fear is to keep us safe, it often becomes the obstacle that stands between us and our dreams and goals. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. You can allow fear to stop you from taking action or you can face, challenge and overcome it. 
There are rational fears, the ones that are based in reality, such as encountering a bear while on a hike in the woods. And there are irrational fears that keep us stuck. These are the stories we tell ourselves about outcomes we believe will happen. With no factual basis, they usually begin in childhood and remain with us until something is changed. These can be labeled destructive fears. While it's not always easy to recognize our fears and how they keep us stuck, here are a few clues that experts say may help us determine if our life is guided by fear rather than joyful freedom. You see only the downside. You avoid anything new or unknown. You stay small. You are indecisive. How can you move past the fear? First, become aware of what scares you and how you respond. Keep a journal, and when you recognize a fear, jot it down. Then write down how you react when fears arise. Keep track of anything that seems significant. Learning about your fears can help you transform them. Once you are aware of your thoughts and responses, you can employ a few strategies for change. Use your imagination for good. Instead of letting your thoughts take you down a dark hole, imagine yourself in the situation with a positive outcome. Take a time out. Don't react immediately and give yourself some time and space for analysis. Clear your mind by focusing on your breath, taking a walk, or participating in any activity that calms you down. Then, when your mind is clearer, analyze the situation with a new perspective. Talk to a friend or advisor. Gaining insight from someone on the outside can help you see a situation in a different light. Remember, fear is nothing more than false evidence appearing real. You can allow fear to stop you from taking action, or you can face, challenge, and overcome it. The choice is yours. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more empowering tips and strategies, visit joanherman.com. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.